Leonard Lee here, the host of Say Yes and Become. And before we begin our conversation today, I want to tell you about Papa's Roast Coffee. It's my favorite. Papa's Roast is taken from a single origin coffee source and then roasted in small batches so you get an amazing quality with every bag you buy. The care and expertise shown by Dean and Debbie Christ in making Papa's Roast has made Papa's Roast my favorite coffee to drink each day. Now you can get your own Papa's Roast by ordering online at www.papasroast.com. You'll find a link in the show notes. Now let's get to today's conversation. Welcome to Say Yes and Become. I'm your host, Leonard Lee, and I am thrilled beyond belief to have a guest today. His name is Kyle Thompson. Uh, Kyle and I, um, uh, I knew of Kyle before he we actually met uh, because he came and took a church in my local area. And when and I'm familiar with the church, so I actually began to pray for he and his wife and the transition of their family before they ever even moved to uh, California, to the Roseville area. And then we connected uh, a few different times out there in Roseville. Um, I had the privilege of uh, uh, going in and out of his church as I traveled and spoke in other places. And um, I just grew to love his heart and who he is. And so Kyle, welcome to Say Us and Become. I'm just thrilled you're here today. Thank you. Uh, I didn't know about those prayers, but I'll tell you, those prayers are being answered and those prayers were needed. Uh, pastoring uh, in the last five years has not been for the faint of heart. And I was, uh, what's, the, what's the saying? I was in over my skis a few times. And so God <laughs> really showed up in big ways. So you can imagine what it's been like pastoring from 2018 to now 2023, 35-year-old first-time lead pastor. I've made all the mistakes, but God has been so gracious and he just continues to do great stuff. So thank you for your prayers and thanks for having me. Well, after pastoring for a long time, I promise you, you haven't made them all. Um, <laughs> there's a few more coming, but I know how you handle. Uh, I know how you handle uh, standing in front of people and being authentic, and so I just don't think that's going to be an issue. Um, welcome to say yes and become. Our premise, Kyle, is that we become what we say yes to, and when we say yes to the two primary invitations of God, they literally run from Genesis to Revelation. God says, "Will you come and be close to me?" And then he says, would you join me? Because I have things I want done in this world. And, and it's out of those that yes, uh, that literally we're transformed and the lives around us are transformed. You cannot be a disciple maker and not say yes to both those questions. And so um, my first question always, always, always is, um, uh, what are some significant yeses that uh, you have said to God uh, in your journey of faith. Let me tell you about the most difficult yes, um, because it's hard for me to say every day. Uh, saying yes to following Jesus, that's easy. God knows me and loves me. Say yes. Um, called to ministry. Yeah, I had other plans, but yes, that was easy. The hardest yes is the one I've got to say every day. But let me tell you how long I've been struggling with it. Um, let me go back. When I was uh, 18 years old, I went off to Bible college and I had a plan. I was going to be the best Bible student possible so I could become the best preacher possible and become the best pastor possible, have the biggest impact um, possible. And I went in with this uh, dream to be kind of um, the best I could be as a student. And uh, it worked. 
I remember within uh, the first semester of me being there, I'm standing in front of the cafeteria. I'm at Azusa Pacific University, for those of you who know that. And I'm standing in line waiting for the cafeteria to open. And someone comes up to me and she says, is your name Kyle? And I'm like, that's weird. Um, yes. Is your name Kyle Thompson? And I'm like, I don't know if I should be flattered or like creeped out. You know what I mean? Uh, <laughs> and then she's like, are you a biblical studies major? And I'm like, okay, this is really weird. <laughs> and then she says these lines on the page. She's like, I hear you're like the smartest guy on campus. To which I was like, word gets around fast. This is awesome. I and just started that mind, rumor yesterday. <laughs> I know, right? Um, and I was like, this is it. This is amazing. Uh, finally, all the work I've done and energy of studying scripture and doing this and trying has finally come off. And it just made me feel so good inside. And so it kind of launched me into this trajectory of realizing that God has given me impact. So I decided to double down on that and follow that. So I applied for a leadership position at the end of my freshman year. And one of my uh, professors and mentors write a letter of recommendation. He said, easy, and um, did it. And uh, the letter of recommendation never showed up. And so I call him back. I said, hey, uh, Dr. B, um, his name is Dr. Beloyan. We called him Dr. B. Uh, I said, hey, uh, you never filled out the letter. He's like, yeah, I did. I even sent it to your uh, dorm room so that you'd get it. I said, you did? And he tells me the room number. It's not my room number. It's actually in a different dorm. Like, that's weird. So like, all right, well, I just got to go there, get the letter. And I go and I uh, knock on this door, trying to get my letter. Someone opens the door. And in that moment, I just, I look at him and say, is your name Kyle? He says, yeah. Is your name Kyle Thompson? He's like wondering whether or not he should cut the door, sh shut the door. And <laughs> then I look at him and say, are you a biblical studies major? He's totally creeped out. And in that moment, I realized not only am I not the smartest biblical studies major on campus, I'm not the smartest Kyle Thompson at my school. <laughs> and in this moment, I'm just crushed. And I realized um, how eager I was for people's affirmation. Um, maybe uh, it's because I'm an insecure middle child. Maybe, you know, I don't know what it is, but I loved it. And so when I got it from this girl, her name's Nicole, by the way, the, the mm -hmm. lunch. Um, and then uh, when I lost it, it was a roller coaster. Quick aside, this has nothing to do with it. That girl, Nicole, ended up kind of talking to my later roommate, Steven. That didn't work out. So she ended up marrying the smart Kyle Thompson. Uh, <laughs> but now I think they took her last name, Lambelay. So Kyle and Nicole Lambelay uh, are now married. And he is much, much smarter than I am. That's not a joke. But the wrestle with me continued until um, I really saw it clearly uh, in the life of Jesus. I That same professor who filled out the recommendation uh, was doing, a, uh, invited me to work on an independent study project. And I did it. And the, we started by looking at Luke chapter four. It's the famous temptation mm -hmm. of Jesus. Yeah, yeah. And everyone has talked about how the temptations are different. You know, there are three different categories, but the thing that was the bullseye for Kyle's heart was the way in which the three were the same. And this really kind of opened my eyes hmm. uh, when I realized that the temptation that Jesus had was to use his own power to glorify and prove himself. Hmm. If you are the son of God, prove it. If you are the son of God, show it off. If you are, people will love you. The angels will catch you. The, and all of that, I realized that Jesus went before me and 
showed me how to win that temptation of there's going to be the temptation to make ministry about you, to use your gifts that God has given you to make a name for yourself, to be beloved um, by others. And I said, that's the greatest temptation. And he's, he won the battle. I'm wrestling with it every day. And what it did is it revealed in me um, not only my need or longing to be loved and affirmed, to be powerful, to be effective, but it was this, it made me to realize how closely connected my insecurity and my arrogance were. Mm. What, what I used to believe is if you had um, a line, a spectrum, if you will, you would put insecurity on one side and arrogance on the other, and you're either one or the other. And the goal is to be in the middle, which and then I realized, no, I don't think it's a line. If anything, it's a circle or better yet. I feel like it's a coin and it's two sides of the same coin. I think arrogance is this need to prove yourself. I know I've got gifts and I want the world to know it. And insecurity is this, I don't think I'm good enough. So let me show it. And whether it be to yourself, to your congregation, to your parents, we all have that person or people who uh, we're trying to please way too much. And so that's kind of become the journey for me is how do I wrestle with my insecurity and arrogance? And then the next piece of that story came in um, again, another Bible story. Sorry, I'm a pastor. It's what I do. It's at the end of the gospel of John. If you're a Jesus follower, you've probably heard the story at the end of the gospel of John, uh, Jesus, number one guy, Peter is out on a boat fishing and Jesus comes back, starts a barbecue. Love Jesus. He's cooking over coals. Leonard, I know that bums you. Uh, you have a smoker. You'd rather slow cook it. Uh, I know you're glad Jesus has coals. There's at least some smoke flavor there. But yeah. And he calls to Peter and says, hey, Peter, come on over. Have some breakfast. And Peter's like, dude, I just denied you three times. And Jesus asked this question three times. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. You love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. And that was the thing that unlocked it for me was this, this, this insight. Peter is ashamed and ran away and feels disqualified. And the way that Jesus reinstates him does not by saying, Peter, you're good enough. Peter, you can do this. It's this. It is Peter, stop focusing on your failures and start loving whoever I put in front of you. Mm. Because it's not, do you believe in Jesus? He's resurrected. He's there. It's not, do you believe in your ability? Jesus or Peter has been effective in ministry. It's, are you going to allow your failures that bring insecurity to find you? And what I realized, and I don't know who first quoted this, Leonard, you might know this. It reminded, it, it, it's that old saying that uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking about yourself less. Yeah, yeah. And I found that's the way I actually became effective as a pastor was not proving how smart, how funny, uh, how strategic or winsome I could be. The way I became effective was not making it about me. And the only way I knew how to do that was by focusing on loving whoever Jesus put in front of me. And so that's the constant struggle I have every day. Every time I get up to preach, it's God, uh, let me live to glorify you, to bless these people. Because every single time I walk on that stage, I want it to be about me. Every time I walk into that meeting, I want to show how blank I am. But yeah. really, that's just my insecurity um, and arrogance trying to fight through. So I want to say I have said yes to it, um, but I'm still struggling to say yes to it today to sum it up in a bottom line is to let, I, how do you, how do I, I not it. let it be about me? I was, um, talking with somebody uh, about one of the things I struggle with and they said, uh, you know, Leonard, you're probably just going to struggle with this the rest of your life. 
And uh, I was like, well, I hate you. I want to have faith in victory. Come on, pal. And and uh, I laughed at him and he said, no, there's just some things that God wants to keep you close to because in being close to that, you're close to him. And uh, I was like, oh, I'll take that. Uh, you're joining yeah. him in a fight I mean, that he's fighting for you. Yeah. And I think, again, it's... Uh... You know, use the example of Paul's thorn in the flesh. Jesus takes it and said, no, 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 you need this weakness um, to continue to rely on my strength. Yeah. Um, and I agree with what you said. And I've got a theory. So I know you're supposed to ask me the questions. I've been working on a theory and uh, I'm going to ask you, and you, again, you can cut it. You're the editor. I have this theory that healthy folks who are doing their work, when they get to around 40, the power of the external critics becomes smaller if they're doing their work, becoming a fully formed, healthy Jesus follower. But then it takes till 60 until you can quiet that internal critic of whatever voice you have inside of you, wherever that comes from, we can debate from childhood, from the evil one, from our own life, whatever that may be. So I agree. Lifetime struggle. This will be a lifetime struggle for me. I kind of am wondering, again, I just turned 40. And so maybe that's why I'm optimistic, hoping that this is that stage. And so uh, you've already given me uh, discouragement once saying it's going to get harder and I'm going to make more mistakes. So I'm just curious, what do you think about that developmental theory and timeline? I mean, I'm, I'm just yeah, pulling yeah. it out from observation. I think it's a great observation. And I think that uh, a lot of that has to do with our, with our, with what we're doing to develop our, our faith and our, and our friendship with Jesus. You know, I know people um, may disagree with this, but I just don't think people become more spiritually mature than they do emotionally mature. hundred percent. And so I know there's a lot of folks, you know, when I talk to pastors, I talk to them around the world. I know a lot of pastors who want to be incredible friends with God, but they don't do anything to be partners with God. They think that their ministry is in a study at a desk they don't love people as God has put in front of you. And then I've got a lot of friends who are pastors who want to be partners with God, but do nothing to develop their friendship. You know, mm -hmm. so they're like, man, let's, let's get the building bot. Let's get the program started. Let's get the, the sermon series top of the line, but they don't take time to pause and say, uh, to say what Peter said, I do love you. And Lord, yeah. you know, you know my heart and I think I love you, but you keep asking me the same question. Um, you know, and I think some of that comes about in this thought, all temptation is an assault on your identity. No, uh, come on. And when you start thinking of it that way, Jesus gets tempted. He goes into the wilderness uh, and, and to be tempted and Satan assaults everything the father said. If you are the son of God, well, the father said I was. If he loves you, well, well, he, of course, he won't even allow you to stub your toe. Mm. If your pleasure is found in God. And from that moment on, from the baptism of Jesus on, when the father pulled up in the curtains of heaven and spoke those, those grace filled, uh, affirming relational words to his son, everything in Jesus's life was either a springboard from the truth of those words yep. or an assault on those words. And even on the cross, uh, if he really was the son of God to, Wow, he must really be the son of God. Um, mm -hmm. And Jesus's identity was so locked in to the father 
um, that when he finished in John 17, you give me preaching here in a second. In John 17, he said, uh, Father, um, I've done everything you've asked because they know who you are. Yeah. You know, I, I, they know who you are. They're ready now. Um, and so I think that our there's hope for us. Um, I don't wrestle with those things on the inside or outside nearly as much as I used to. Um, mm. And partly because um, I do the hard work of getting up and spending time uh, quietly in front of God every day, investing myself, not in a devotion, but literally immersing myself in the word, uh, doing a clear assessment, uh, taking, taking stock. God, what are my thoughts? What are my words? Um, you know, I, I pay attention to this phrase. Um, who does God want to send into the world today? Uh, a Leonard who has been with Jesus and transformed or a Leonard who plucks some cherries off the Jesus tree and his arm to uh, make himself look better. Gosh, I love, love, love that. And you mentioned John 17 mm-hmm. and Jesus prayer there. That's something we've got to talk about. Cause that is, uh, it's almost like, is Jesus prayer not being answered? Which is that's <laughs> sorry. That's a theological boat there given the divided cultural moment we live in. But mm-hmm. so that John 17, 16, but I, I, before we pivot from this topic um, of being deeply formed by Christ, um, I think it's Maxwell who said, um, is Maxwell, John Maxwell, the one who quote, who coined the phrase, you teach what you know, but you reproduce who you are. Yes. Um, yeah. I, I don't know if it's him or he got it from someone. And, and I think that's good news and bad news for us. Mm-hmm. I think uh, uh, whether it be your kids, uh, the company you lead, uh, the church you lead, uh, your character, your integrity, your peace of heart and mind gets absorbed by everyone else around you. And so you mentioned, you know, uh, again, how horrible would that be for me uh, to, quote unquote, build a big church of folks who are rooted in Jesus? Like yes. a disaster, right? Like, yeah, it's actually antithetical to the mission. And in that, I've got to do the work. And um, I talk about this journey, right? I talk about the story of 18 and now at 40 and looking realizing, okay, I got more years to go in that. And one of the things I want to say to your listeners who only maybe see the public side of me on a stage, they only know this story of me. What I want to say that I don't share very often, because I'd rather be the butt of the joke than be the right example is, I don't know anybody who has done as much work to be healthy as a human being, as I have. I mean, and maybe I shouldn't say it that way, but like the joke around me is it takes a village to raise an insecure narcissist. And so that's yeah. how I refer to myself as the insecure narcissist. But like, I mean, there's times, I mean, I got a therapist, I got a spiritual director, I got a small group, like I'm journaling, <laughs> I'm, I'm reading, I'm doing all these things. And you mentioned the term emotional health and yeah. praise God for Pete Scazzaro. Shout out to that guy yes. who really coined that term emotionally healthy spirituality, which the church in the United States really needed. And um, all folks, especially pastors, really need. So I think that's good news. And I think I just want to say um, I've done a lot of work. Uh, I've had a lot of failures. Um, but those internal successes are so much greater than all the public successes that have happened because yeah. the internal wins are the ones that give me peace of heart. Um, and they're also the ones that remind me that Jesus is the leader instead of me being the leader. Because mm-hmm. here, and I'll just, I'll just stop there because I don't want to go down too far down that rabbit hole. No, we're going wherever you want to go. So, um, but I, I'm agreeing with you a hundred percent. And I, and I think that 
uh, Kyle, when we start thinking ministry, we start, we're, we're talking about ministry, but we're really talking about what does it mean to follow Jesus? There's somebody out there who's going, man, I'm never preaching a sermon, but you still got to become emotionally healthy. You yes. still, and what I, what I feel like we've done in our culture today, uh, now that we're on this path and I'll just join you. Um, I feel like that we've taught our people to limp and not run. Uh, huh. We have said, tell me more. Well, you spend your 15 minutes a day with Jesus in a book. Uh, you run off to go throughout your day. You, um, but we've not taught taught people to abide in him. Yeah. Uh, we've not taught people to sit down and say, I, I need to immerse myself in scripture. Uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? Mm-hmm. I have four groups right now across the U S and we're literally reading the book of Galatians every day for we're on day 25. And, uh-huh. and then I send them uh, probably three notes a week, not theological notes, but relational notes. Like, um, you know, no, no one should have a greater love of theology than they do of people. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's what Paul's saying in Galatians, because we interpret Galatians in our Western culture to be this comparison of the law versus grace. But in reality, it is about how do we access God? How yeah. do you know, Paul's saying the law didn't do that, but but grace did. And he's writing yeah. about the relationship they have with God. And, and he's going, I'm worried for it. Who cut in mm-hmm. on you guys? And so, but we're a lot of times what happens is when I say, we're going to read the same thing for 30 days. After day four, they're going like, well, I'm a little bored because they've been trained to find a nugget. They've been trained to find some kind of, a, well, you know, what's, I, I want to go deeper. How many times have people said that? And, uh, and so we write, we look at that and I go, um, what's deeper than what's deeper in your marriage than literally investing time every day to sit with your wife. All you're doing right now is investing time every day to hear his words. That's all. You're not looking for a nugget. You're not looking. Those Mm. will come to you because the Holy spirit, as Jesus said, will teach you. You don't have to look for him. He brings them to you when you quiet yourself enough. But we have not taught people the process of simply, you know, I'm just going to do this, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm and I, I I don't I don't do tons and tons of spiritual disciplines by their names. Um, yeah, you know, I don't do electo divina and those things. Yep. But I found that I spend time in the Word. Uh, every day. And by doing it the way I do, uh, there's six instructions in the Bible about the Bible, read or listen, pray or not pray, uh, study, memorize, meditate, share, and do those six. I'm six for six every day. Uh, You know, and when I talk to people say, tell me about your time. Well, it's not what I'd like it to be. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. Otherwise you change it. We can do something different and you the fruit of the spirit is self-control Galatians. Again, you know, I grew up in a place where, you know, well, he needs the spirit because he's overweight. He needs the spirit because he bites his fingernails as though Paul was writing this thing that says love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and whatever you do, don't bite your fingernails. Hmm. uh, No, the self-control the Holy spirit gives me is the ability to develop and control just what kind of a friendship. I'm going to have with Jesus. 
he allows me to change myself to that. It's funny you talk about being changed and transformed into the fruit of the spirit. I recently did a wedding where I used that passage. Um, but before I do that, quick tangent, how often do you floss your teeth? Me? Yeah. Um, well, uh, never. Okay. Bad example. Let's go back to the wedding. Uh, I, uh, I, I brush them all the time. <laughs> um, so uh, I had I had a, an illustration, but uh, you're the opposite of the example. Um, uh, let me go back to um, that Galatians piece. Yeah. So I, the first time I've used Galatians in a wedding and, uh, you know, everyone's there all dressed up and um, they're there to, you know, pledge their undying love for each other. And I say to this couple, I say, look at them and say, Hey, um, you are a, committing your life and marrying a stranger. Mm-hmm. They're like, what are you talking about? We've dated, we've done all these things. We've, our families have traveled together, all these things, you know? Um, and I said, no, the challenge of being married is not loving the person putting in front of you. It's loving whoever they become. Because this person standing in front of you is going to be a radically different person in five or 10 years. Yeah. Uh, because we're all constantly changing. And how do you then fall in love with whoever they become? Well, then you got to, well, what's your definition of love? You know, I mean, take the easier route. Is it feeling? Yeah. No. Is it a choice? That's better. But really, what Paul is saying is love is who you are it's an identity piece like you talked about identity and how do you define that identity joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness and self-control and here it's interesting i i learned this from tim keller who was quoting i think jonathan edwards and um uh i think edwards uses the term uh the fruit of the spirit are concatenate and i was like what does that even mean i thought concatenate was uh, a microsoft excel formula um shows how big of a nerd i am uh but but Keller goes on to say this, you either have one of the fruit or you have none of the fruit. I'm like, well, what are you talking about? He says, well, if you have joy without self-control, that's not joy and self-control. That's just impulsiveness. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. Oh. Yeah. like yeah. if you have love, but you don't have humility, you don't really have love. You have a Messiah complex. I mean, you've seen that. Right. I'm just here to love on people. and do that. No, you think you're better than them. Like, that's not love. That's a Messiah complex. And I think sometimes we take these character traits and like, oh, that is it but realizing a life fully transformed by god as you're saying as paul is saying there's no external marker like you talk about weight or fingernails or yeah. even quiet time church attendance all these things you know I'm, I'm, I'm for all those things but paul is saying like circumcision um we can't have any of these external markers the markers the it's you can taste it right taste and see you'll know by the fruit and the fruit is that a life of love is all of those things and that's I'm going to be honest. That's my problem with so many Christians. Like I talk to Christians who don't taste that way. They don't taste like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Mm-hmm. They are sour or bitter or dying on the vine. And I'm like, I don't blame people who don't want to be a Jesus follower. I'm going to look shriveled and rotten like that guy. But then when you interact with someone, you taste it like, oh, that is delicious. I yes. want more of yeah. that. That yeah. fruit is compelling. I agree. And I, I think our culture has shifted so much. In my lifetime, I mean, I, I, I'm 60 and I've just watched culture shift so that uh, years and years ago, when you rebelled, you still didn't disagree with the values of culture. Mm. You could say, you know, hey, I believe about premarital sex, what what Judeo-Christian ethics teaches, I'm just not going to follow it. And so you felt guilt and shame differently. Yep. Today, 
we uh, we have literally said, well, the Bible doesn't actually speak to that or God doesn't care about that. And so the values are different. And I what I think, uh, Kyle, is that's done is that's given us uh, the weight of sin is heavy. And uh, we say it this way. All sin ends badly. Uh, there's well no said. sin that ends well. And I think the weight of that on our soul and our spirit and our mind uh, and our bodies is so much more today that the tools that we gave somebody 25, 30, 40 years ago, they're not the same. They don't, they actually don't cut it. And so you yeah. could come to church once a week. You could sing your songs. You could do your daily devotion, give a percentage of your time, percentage of your money and go, Hey, I checked all the boxes. I feel pretty good because I'm in line with the cultural mores of Christian faith. Today, yep. the weight is we're going, man, I, I I tried reading my Bible or I tried doing devotions or I tried praying. I got, it's not doing it. The weight of yep. life is so much heavier. And so God says, it, where you keep your step, uh, it determines what what's produced inside of you. Yeah. So we keep in step. I think for a long time, we kept in step with our culture and called it the spirit because there were morals, there were values yeah. that align, love, joy, peace. Now we're going, man, I've, we're keeping in step with the culture and it produces the naughty list out of Galatians 5 yeah. instead of the fruit of the spirit. And I think the other piece that's missing is, is that we lack, we lack a clear sense of mission uh, and mm. calling you know, we relegated calling to pastors, but really calling is when God calls us to be his friend and then he calls us to be his partner. And we lack that today in our culture. Um, and so we actually have people who who would rather have that and rather be built and trained and equipped to answer that. But the church in many places is not offering anything like that. Because we're still trying to get a percentage of their time, a percentage of their money, uh, help us with the bottom line. Let's turn a few of you into leaders and we'll be good because we're still trying to build a church instead of the church. Hmm. So, But I get on my soapbox if you're not careful. <laughs> a few things. You talk about the calling. Um, uh, I, I preach a sermon series called Called to Be because mm -hmm. I think we always talk about called to do. And then... Um, you know, we talked about who before do, and uh, we actually talked about the calling of Jonah, and Jonah, Jonah was called to preach, yes, but who do you have to be before that? He had to be someone who was willing to forgive the Assyrians. Mm -hmm. The hardest thing for Jonah was not to say yes to the call. He was a good preacher. He was effective. He obviously believed in God. Faith was not a problem. The hardest thing for him was to have a transformed heart to be able to forgive the Assyrians, and so I yeah. think there's some depth there. But there's another thing. Now, the second thing is you mentioned a shift in culture. And earlier in this, you talked about John 17. Mm -hmm. And so I want to transition to that because Jesus prays this prayer. I pray that they would be one as you and I are one. And he prayed for his, his sons and daughters to be one. And in this cultural moment, it does not seem as though Jesus' prayer is being answered yeah. And I don't know what to do with that theologically or practically. Obviously, I'm 20% joking, but my heart is 80% serious. Yeah. Uh, Leonard, how do we navigate those waters 
in such a divided time. I mean, you and I used to live in the same coast, but you moved from the left coast to uh, Tennessee and uh, oh, there's a lot of folks in our town. Again, the divide is so big. We got to live 3000 miles from each other. Obviously yeah. that's tongue in cheek, yeah. cheap shot. And I'm obviously not blaming you for doing that, but I'm just trying to illustrate, man, Jesus prayer doesn't seem to be being answered. I, I think that um, there's two things historically that I can identify that it created unity. Uh, crisis and mission. Uh, 100%. Crisis creates unity, but it, it's not a lasting unity because we can't decide uh, we can't decide uh, what to do with crisis. Somebody says, well, no, in crisis, we got to go fight a war. Somebody else says, no, we got to go uh, help the home, whatever it is, whatever those, those uh, responses to crisis are. Um, and then mission creates unity. And I really believe that in John 17, the entire chapter is about Jesus um, saying, I, I, I had a mission, Father. And I did it. Uh, you gave me disciples. I equipped them. I accomplished the mission. Uh, now they're going to go do the mission. And the disciples of the disciples will also do the mission. And so when I think when he says, Father, make them one as we are one, he's not talking about a kumbaya, we all agree on something, unity. I think he's saying, Father, don't let there be mission drift. Um, and that's consistent with everything Jesus said uh, in his in the whole gospel of John. Don't let there be mission drift. Keep them one in this mission like you and I are one. Father, you have sent me. I'm going to send the Spirit. Uh, we are the three in one and the in, one in, in, in being, one in purpose, one in love, one in mission. you know and that's what Paul writes and if he, there's one God, one Father, one faith, and that unity of mission comes from our step, keeping in step with the spirit of God, who Jesus said will be your chief partner in disciple making. He's going to be the one who teaches you, reminds you, comforts you, helps you protect. He's going to do all these things. And so I just think when Jesus said, Father, make them one as we are one. He wasn't saying, Father, help them get along, because that's what we call unity. Uh, he was saying they're going into the foxhole. Isn't that how he ends chapter 16? Uh, in the world, they're going to have tribulation. What do we do? We preach that and we say, uh, no reflection on, on you, but we preach that and say, well, your back is bad. And Jesus said, it's going to be tough, but it'll be a good year. I've overcome the world. Well, that's not even close to what Jesus was saying. Jesus mm -hmm. had just said to his disciples, here's the keys to the Cadillac, guys. Uh, you're going to go. The world has hated me. They're going to hate you. And I've given you a mission. And in this world, when you live out that mission, it's going to get tough. But I've overcome the world. Now go to John 17, where he says, Father, put them in. They're ready. And I'm praying for the disciples of the disciples that they would not lose that mission in the face of the copy of the copy of the copy. That's my two cents. I totally agree. I mean, the power of mission to unify. And I just realized in this moment, listening to you, I think the person who understands that better than anyone might be the devil. Yep. Because I'm realizing one of the challenges I'm experiencing 
people have a mission, but they're fighting the wrong fights. They'd rather fight a culture war mm-hmm. than fight to love people. Um, I think it's made it hard. I remember, man, I was in my first six months pastoring here. I'm a new town, new guy. I'm following the beloved founding lead pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was um, a tragic accident in our town started before I was hired. And then later there was um, uh, two uh, police officers um, shot an unarmed black man. And then um, there was the investigation and then the DA decided not to press charges. And I came in front of my church and said, friends, I want to pray, but I'm afraid that you can't hear my prayer because you're actually listening for my politics. I, here's the thing as I want to pray for this hurting family, but I'm afraid you're going to hear black lives matter. I also want to pray for our police officers um, who don't feel safe right now, but then you're going to hear blue lives matter. And I want to pray for everyone, but then you're going to hear all lives matter. And I'm just going to get canceled by someone. So I'm like, can I just be a pastor who prays and realizes that God loves every single one of these people. God knows what is and is not just, and whether justice was or was not done in this world, that in some ways I need to trust that Jesus will do that and know that that's not my lane. That is the prosecutor's lane. That is the law enforcement's lane. That is the family's lane. Yes, 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 and yes. So I'm not trying to minimize it, but I'm just saying I felt afraid to pray because yeah. I was afraid people were more interested in reading between the lines of my politics. And I was like, how do I pastor in that moment? Yeah, you are not wrong. And that is... Uh, I, I was in Sacramento at the time. I remember that very clearly. Um, I remember uh, doing some interim work at a church, and uh, um, uh, and one of the older folks at the church said, "Why are we even praying for this?" You know, and it's like, um, well, um, that's between you and God. You're going to have to figure out why you're not, um, mm-hmm. because uh, I don't have to tell you why I am. It's all over Scripture. And uh, he was like, well, that's a good answer. You know, he, he's like, I'm not going to fight with the pastor. And, uh, yeah. and, and uh, that's the, that's the benefit of some gray hair, I think. Um, but he, uh, I, I think, here's what I think divides us in our culture. I think trying to change culture divides us um, because we, we don't even know what part we want to change or what we should change it into. Uh, and so whenever somebody change, says we need to change culture, almost always they're trying to say we need to get back to something or go to something we've never had. And so they're literally not dealing with the present. They're dealing with a tomorrow that doesn't exist or a past that they can't interpret right. Uh, we, we, we can't, uh, that divides us. I think theology divides us. Um you know, and I, my undergrad's theology. I believe in good theology, 100. Yep. I've read all the books that I can think of on theology, and I still study it. But theology divides us. Um, I think that uh, you know, styles of ministry divide us. Uh, I think all kinds of different things because what divides us is whatever allows me to hold power. And mm-hmm. so I can tell you what to believe. Morality divides us because I can tell you this is right, this is wrong. Uh, this is this is theology. This is what you should believe in. 
in all those scenarios, culture, style, whatever it is, I hold the power. But all authority has been given to Jesus. He holds the power. And um, and I think that almost all poverty, all abuse is an abuse of power. And what God is saying to me is use your power like Jesus did. So you reference Luke 4. Well, what does Jesus say in Luke 4? He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, always means power in the Bible. And he's anointed, yep. me, which always means purpose. And this is how I'm going to use it. I'm going to, good news to the poor, blind can see, on and on and on. And he goes through that and they want to kill him for his for his, the way he talks about using power because mm -hmm. they wanted a cultural transformation. They wanted theological rightness. They wanted moral correctness. We want everybody here to become Jewish under the law and anybody who doesn't should die. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, well, that's not how we're going to play this game. Three chapters later in John 7, uh, or Luke 7, John the Baptist is in prison. What does he do? He sends his friends to knock on Jesus's door and says, are you really the one? Because I'm confused about how you use your power. And so Jesus says, go tell John what you see. The blind receive their sight. Good news is preached to the poor. And, and he gives these five descriptions out of Isaiah again. And so I think the question that, that we have to begin to deal with as leaders is, um, how am I going to use my power? Because uh, you have it. Well, and that's, you know, that's the temptation I talk about um, uh, in undergrad, trying to prove myself as a pastor. Again, it's that right before in well, I use uh, my power for myself. I'm like, it is the exact same thing. And again, this is maybe too easy, but, you know, we talk about fruit of the spirit. So attractive. We talk about what are the evidence that Jesus gives, you know, the, uh, uh, the prisoners released, the, the blind receive sight. I'm like these markers, according to Paul and Jesus, the two most influential folks in the New Testament, according to them, those things are good news um, to folks anytime, anywhere, any place. Yeah. And if people saw that, I think they'd say, okay, I, 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 I want that. But when it's about culture wars, people are like, nah, yeah. I, I can't do it. And I, I don't blame folks. I don't blame folks um, who don't do that. And Well, and I think it's much, it's much, um, it's much easier to have a room full of people and and capture their energy over a cause or over a conflict or over attention. Um, I was in Honduras uh, and I had 60 or so pastors in a room and I said, write down what you believe is the mission of, of the church. They translated it back to what is the mission of their church. And out of 60 pastors, we had 47 different missions. And uh, these people said, yeah, we're unified. We are one. I said, no, you're not. Look at right here. Because you guys actually hold uh, different missions and none of the, or very few of them are actually the mission Jesus gave the church. You know, Jesus, he said, my mission for you guys is now to go make disciples everywhere you go. Make disciples who make disciples who make disciples whose disciples make disciples. Uh, and, and we've lost that. And part of why we've lost mission is because we do nothing to equip people for mission. We think, and so the mission of the church has become the meeting 
uh, that we do on Sundays, which is not a training time. It is a, it's not even designed. It, it can't bear the weight of that. Um, it's mm-hmm. a time for us to get together and say to one another, life's been hard out there. And uh, I got you. I'm praying for you. Um, but as great a communicator as you are, um, six months ago, what you preach, people are going, I don't remember. I can tell you what I preach, but because you remember, because it touched you personally and you were excited about how well it was formed and what it was going to do. But the discouraging part is they're going, well, I don't know. It was good. I remember feeling something, but, yep. if, and, and so preaching as valuable and powerful it is, as it is, it's not training. Training mm-hmm. is a, is an, is a repeated process with an intended outcome. And if, yep. if if preaching was good enough, you would only have to preach to your seven and 10 year old a sermon rather than go, how many times do I have to tell you? Come on, let's sit down and go over this again. And now let's yep. do it again. And oh, oh, by the way, let's do it again, sometimes multiple times in the same day. And so as, as, as a church, and I'm using the big C now, uh, as the church, we do not train people. And so I was with a, I was with a, one of the questions I always ask is this, if uh, God were to bless you tomorrow with 3000 people who said we're in, we're ready to repent and be baptized. Are you ready? And every Mm. pastor says, no, 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 we're not. I said, what are you doing to get ready? And almost every pastor says "Um, nothing. Okay, but you're praying for revival. You're praying for an awakening. You're praying that God would do something spectacular in your community, but you don't even have people who are equipped mm-hmm. to say, man, we had 3,000 people saved. Well, let's divide them up into groups. Let's let's equip them in the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, the fellowship and prayer. That wasn't about how they did church. That's how they equipped disciples. Now let's mm-hmm. get them baptized. Baptism wasn't about an outward sign of an inward faith merely, it was actually uh, of the baptisms in scripture, other than the one John did, almost every baptism in scripture was a launch pad to mission. It was for Mm. Jesus, it was for the 3000, it was for Paul, and it was for the Ethiopian eunuch. Those are the four primary expressions of baptism that we see. uh, What do we have to repent? Get baptized, repent, turn to Jesus, now get on mission. Mm. And the response of that is well, and God added daily to the church, but we don't equip people. And so I said, so you're not ready, but you're praying for it. That seems seems insufficient. So now let's ask this question: If uh, if the and I wherever I'm at, I, I find a team, and so I might say uh, the San Francisco 49ers decided that the that the organization that has the most important mission in the world is the church. It's the kingdom of God. It's the gospel of Jesus. It's the glory of God. It is salvation for people. It's the most important mission in the world. It's good news to the poor, sight for the blind. And so we're going to go study how they train their people for that mission. And we're going to model our training for our mission to win a Super Bowl after how they train. How many games are they going to win? They're not going to win any. Because we typically in the church, big church, don't train people. We, mm-hmm. we, we inspire them. We, cause we have vision, not mission. Mm-hmm. I have a vision. I don't need to train you. I just need to find where you fit. I'm going to plug you and play you in my vision. All you have to do is, man, I have a vision for a friendly church. Well, I just got to go find 10 friendly people. 
but I don't mm-hmm. have to equip you to be a disciple maker. Uh, mm-hmm. I have I have a vision that we would be connected in groups and in circles. Well, I just got to find people who have a big enough home and are willing to be friendly and hospitable enough and can facilitate questions about my sermon or, mm-hmm. but I don't have to have a mission. I don't have to train you for that. And so mm-hmm. we have to do something different if we really want to have mission and where's unity found in mission, it's found in mission. If we really want to have mission, like God, the father, the son, and the Holy spirit did, then we have to start equipping our people. That's good. The military knows it. Police know it. Athletics know it. Medicine knows it. Uh, musicians know it. Artists know it. But the church has forgot that that's what Jesus did better than anything else better than his miracles, better than his preaching, was he took this group of of disciples. And so what does Jesus measure? Uh, I was in Nigeria earlier this year. I said, what are you guys measuring? Well, we measure how many people come to our church and maybe some people getting saved and maybe miracles. And I said, what did Jesus measure? He measured these numbers, 3, 12, 72, 120, and 3,000. And those were all the people that were being equipped and trained to be disciple makers. How many of you can say, I'm measuring because I have three people that I'm discipling and equipping them to multiply for generations? Well, none of you, because you don't have that. So what are you measuring? We're not even measuring the right things. Now, that's mm-hmm. my soapbox. So you, you you get me going here, Kyle. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. So um, let me let me shift that. Let me shift gears on you a little bit. Um because I think that we could spend uh, we could spend days, weekends, retreats, and weeks uh, talking about this this heart yeah. that says we've got to do better. We've got to yeah. we've we've yeah. got to fight better fights, and we've got to fight right fights. You know that's yeah. what I love about Paul's words in Timothy says the the fight meaning the right fight I fought it, yeah. the 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 faith the right faith I kept it. You know, yeah. and that's why God has laid up for him a crown. Um, but let's back up a little bit and let me ask you just a couple pastor questions as you are um, yeah. as you are just kind of soaking this uh, these thoughts in and 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 sharing them um how do people hear from god mm. Mm. <sighs> you know it's interesting when you talk about how people hear from god i think of specific um people who I know, I, I think of um, my friend Alex, who says, man, when I'm out in nature, I hear from God. Um, I'm thinking of uh, I'm named Deborah. It's like every, like every time I'm in a conversation with somebody, um, whether they're a believer or not, I, I hear from God. I think of, you know, our executive pastor, Lori, who um, almost every day she's like, uh, in my, in my, uh, alone time with Jesus in the morning. She's like, I don't leave until I hear from God. And mm-hmm. she's built up uh, practices and disciplines around scripture meditation. How she does that. Um, you know, I feel like, uh, um, I feel like I'm hearing from God um, in conversations I'm having where I'm playing pastor and God's reminding me that I'm not in control. Um, I may not make any sense. So let me say it this way. I think one of the interesting things about my spiritual journey, I don't know if you can relate, is, um, you know, when I first 
gave my life to Jesus, uh, there was this awe and this wonder and this mystery. Uh, and then I felt like I was on this journey and I was like going, going down the yellow brick road and mm-hmm. there was awe and it was beautiful and mysterious and it was powerful. And then um, you get into ministry and then you pull back the curtain and sometimes it feels like you thought it was God behind the curtain. You realize it's, it feels like it's just some person pulling the strings yeah. and it's totally disorienting when you get that close to it. And then here's where it got even worse. You then are disgusted that someone else is pulling the strings. And then when it's your vocation or your identity, you then become the one pulling the strings. Mm. And essentially you are the one trying to become God or Oz or make it work. And I know that doesn't make sense. I'm sorry. Let me, let me say it in another way. Um, uh, um, the primary way I hear from God is in conversations with folks, uh, usually one-on-one. Usually it's a mentor of some folk at at the primary. And I, uh, I was, I wanted to get better at my preaching. My preaching was going too long. Uh, and for those of you who are like listening to this, track, like, yeah, we're an hour in Kyle. We got it. You got the spiritual gift of long windedness. I get it. So I asked uh, one of my coaches, Hey, will you listen to some of my sermons? Give me some feedback. I'm trying to figure out how to go shorter. Okay, great. The best part about it is his name is uh, uh, Brandon Beard. Shout out Brandon. Uh, so I called him coach Beard. So for Ted Lasso fans out there, the fact that I'm getting coached by coach Beard is awesome. And so <laughs> we go and we're talking through some of my sermons and, He's giving me all this tactile, do this, do that, do, 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 great, 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 great. And then he said, and then you want me to be honest with you? And I'm like, bro, this first few minutes wasn't honest. You've already raked me over the coals. And he said, Kyle, you preach like you don't believe in the Holy Spirit. Hmm. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? He says, Kyle, it's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people. It's the Holy Spirit's job to transform people. And you preach like you've got to do it. That's why every single time you got you're working so hard to try and uh, convict every single person of their sin. It's that's why every single week you need to give every single practical step that ever need because you think that after they walk out of here they're never going to hear from Jesus ever again. And unless you tell them in that moment, they're not going to be able to do it. And he said, and then this is where it got real. He's like, and I think it goes back to that insecurity and arrogance thing, and that's why you've always got to be the smartest person on the room. So you're answering questions in your preaching that nobody's answering. Hmm. And every time you get a joke, you love the roar of the crowd. So you just milk that joke for all it's worth. And that's why I feel like you preach like you don't believe in the Holy spirit because you're trying too hard because you think it's your job to do it. And I'm like, Hmm. Oh, I think in that, um, that's how Kyle primarily hears from God from people who love me enough to know me, affirm me and call me out on my stuff. Um, That is the primary way I hear from God. Man. I love that. I love that. I think um, you, man, uh, you know what? I, I, I hear from God when I am uh, patient, um, uh, to to pause and uh, and reflect uh, when mm-hmm. I can stop and just say I mean I mean I know the standard ways of will I read the Bible I pray yep. uh, and such and and I'm not discounting any of those nor are you of course um, but I hear from God uh, when I pause and I'll just go okay God what 
what are you saying? What are you saying? And then how do I fit into that? Um, you know, I, 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 years ago, you know, I did 18 almost or so years of youth ministry. And uh, I grew up in the youth ministry era when we were telling everybody, you know, God has a, you have a purpose, you have a purpose, you have a purpose. And somewhere along the way, I made a transition to the fact that um, God's mission is your purpose. You don't have a purpose. You have a father who says, I have a purpose. Join me. That's what you were mm -hmm. made for. Um, yeah. And moving to that and to live into that myself personally um, is for me to be patient enough to, to say, well, I don't have to go get everything done. I, I can sit here a little longer. I can drink that extra cup of coffee. Uh, I can say, okay, guy, speak, uh, speak to me. Tell me, tell me really what, what does it look, what, how do you put skin on this? Um, mm. And, uh, and then also, uh, you know, as you say, when people are honest enough to, to look inside my soul and, um, you know, I hear the encouragement of God when people affirm me. Uh, but I hear the the love of God when people are willing to challenge me and say, I don't think I agree with that. Or, uh, yeah. I don't, you know, you, Leonard, you were a little bit cocky or arrogant, or maybe a lot of it uh, cocky or arrogant. And the older you get, the more gray hair you get. It's harder for people to say that to you. Um, yep. You know, and so making sure you have those people in your life. So, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, um. It is hard. It's easy to pull the eject when you feel anxious, when you feel attacked, when you're like, oh my gosh, I don't feel good. Reach for the dopamine, whether it be in the screen, mm -hmm. affirmation, food, yeah. ignorance, whatever it may be. Yeah, um, It's hard work to lean in and be formed. It is. It is. Uh, let me try another one of my theories on you. Cause you, you, right. you talked about uh, uh, spiritual disciplines and usually, uh, uh, in the circles you and I have been in, uh, we have the typical spiritual disciplines, have a one-on-one -on -one quiet time with Jesus, uh, pray, read your Bible. Um, but I've got this theory and I want to know what you think about it. Um, I call it the Bible floss corollary. Mm -hmm. So I, I want to know, I want to know your thoughts on it. Um, and it came to me one time because when I was a youth pastor, I asked, uh, one of our leaders, I said, Hey, how often do you floss your teeth? He says, here's my strategy. The week before I go to the dentist, I floss like a madman two, three times a day. <laughs> and then I don't do it for six months again. And then I go to the dentist and I'm a madman. And then I ask him some similar questions. How often do you read the Bible? He says, well, when I've got to give a talk or when I've got to teach, I study like a madman. I just dive in and I'm just all consumed by the passage or whatever God wants to teach. And then honestly, I kind of put it on the shelf and then come back until it's my next time. And I was like, that's interesting, the corollary. And then I went to uh, our executive pastor. She is just the typical, again, Myers-Briggs, J, mm -hmm. linear, sequential, disciplined. I looked at her. How often do you floss your teeth? And she looked at me like, I'm crazy. Like, is this even a question? You know, um, it's like, of course every day, usually twice, twice a day, if there's something in my teeth, like, of course. And then I asked, well, how often do you read the Bible? And she just gave me the same look, like just as stupefied, like, of course I read the Bible every single day. And it created this, what I can call the, 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 the Bible floss corollary. And I'm, I have a 
theory that sometimes the way we connect with God, um, God loves us enough to contextualize to our personality. He made us this way, therefore he connects with us that way. And sometimes I think we're not willing to say, this is how God made me, this is how God speaks to me and embrace that. For my friend, who's the binge flosser Bible, maybe we want to say, that's how God's wired him. He can do those crazy deep dives there. Or maybe my friend, she does that. And, and I feel insecure because I'm more like the binge dude and not very much like yeah. um, the executive pastor. And this is bad because I got to go to the dentist on Monday. Literally, the morning this thing drops, I'm going <laughs> to the dentist. I should probably be, be flossing more. And so I have this challenge with this. Some part of me wants to say that I am beautiful, created in the image of God, and this is how God makes me. And I need to have the courage to embrace this is who I am. Yeah. But there's also part of me that says I'm broken, and I don't want to justify my lack of discipline and say, well, that's just not me. Right. So I don't do it that way. That is my tension, knowing as a human being, I'm beautiful and broken, created in God's image, marred by sin. Um, what do you think about the Bible floss corollary? I think um, I think somewhere in between, if I'm just being real honest, there is a uh-huh. there's an answer. Um, uh, goes from for me, it's motive. You know, do I want to be prepared to give a talk? Uh, do I want to be prepared to to be with my father? What mm. am I prepping for? Um, and uh, and and for me, it's how much of this do I think I got? I can handle this one. You know, I, mm-hmm. I can handle these five things, God, but I'm probably going to need to pray a little harder for that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I have this theory that, that uh, things like wisdom were meant to be ways in which we live, not ways in which we solve problems. Uh, you know, so what do you mean by that? Well, I'm, I avoid a lot of problems by allowing wisdom to be my daily choice rather mm-hmm. than to say, well, God, I, I don't know what to do about that. Maybe I should ask for wisdom. You give to all men generously. And I kind of try to back them into a corner to say, give me, give me a dose. Um, you said you would, you know, kind of a deal. And I think generosity should be a way I live, not just the way I approach needs. Uh, 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 love should be a way that, that I live, not just the way I interact with people who tick me off yeah. or people yep. that I need something from. And so, yeah. Uh, and so for me, when it comes to the scriptures, um, I grew up in the little Baptist church. Uh, I was 13 and a half years old and I was about ready to be the biggest knucklehead ever. Um, mm. and, uh, the Holy spirit, uh, I was right literally on the threshold and the Holy spirit spoke to my heart, which Baptists don't like hearing that. At least they didn't back then. Uh, and he said, uh, if you get on this road, you'll never come back. Um, wow. and, uh, Two days later, a man came to me and says, I dare you, Leonard. Now, daring 13 and a half year old Leonard to do anything is a surefire <laughs> way to lose. And I, oh, I said, man. I got you. Whatever, I don't even care what it is. I got you. Blank check. And he hands me my Bible. And he says, read this every day for a year for 365 days for one hour a day. Wow. And I got my mom's little egg timer out and it tick, 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 ding, that one. And uh, I did for a year. And at the, That's amazing. The, by the time I was 14 and a half, um, uh, and while I couldn't articulate it the way I can today, God had answered the five basic questions that live inside of every human being. Where am I mm-hmm. from? What's wrong with me? How do we fix it? What are the values by which I live and what happens when I die? Uh, 
God through his word had said, I made you, sin broke you. Christ will redeem you. My spirit and my word will live inside of you. And when you die, life as I intended will happen. And now the dwelling of God will be with men. And I begin to understand that. And I begin to form my life around how God answers those five questions. And so right about the same time, a buddy of mine and I um, were going, well, we should probably read our Bibles. That's a good thing. And Mm because what do we do? And so we literally picked up, let's read the book of James every day for a month. So we did. And the craziest thing happened to me. James, a bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ of the 12 tribes. I never tried to memorize it. I just simply did because I was immersed in it. Let's do another one. So we did first Peter. Then we did second Peter. Then we went through all the letters. And and whenever we came across something that was longer, um, we said, well, let's just divide it up. And so I just took a a four-month journey with a bunch of guys and said, we're going to read Romans 1 through 4 for 30 days, then Romans 5 through 8. This isn't new for me. I've been doing this for, well, uh, uh, 47 years, 46 years. Um, And do I miss a day? Yeah. Uh, Do I miss two days in a row? Yeah. Uh, Do I miss a week sometimes? Absolutely. But I never kick myself. I just said, well, okay, I'm going to get up. Uh, here's another thought for you on that on that floss idea that um, I think we spiritualize the Bible floss corollary. Yes, the Bible floss corollary. Um, I think we spiritualize too much stuff. You know, mm. so somebody says, "Man, God, just I feel so lonely." Oh, and we spiritualize loneliness to make it a human crisis instead of a human reality. Mm. Uh, and so wow. we're we're that there's not there's no sin in feeling lonely but we people feel shame in feeling lonely you know wow. I, I have anxiety well there's no sin in having anxiety now there's a sin in trying to control life so that it makes you anxious be anxious for nothing that is not a that's not an anxiety question that is a control set question mm-hmm. and so i think that when we we spiritualize things so much that people literally measure their the strength of their faith by their struggles more than by the fact that there's a God who loves them and is committed to that. And your job is to learn to love him back. It's like you're writing my sermon two weeks from now. Um, uh, not this Sunday, but next Sunday. Um, the big idea of my sermon is be spiritual, but not too spiritual. Um and it's it's a, it's a look at the story of Elijah right after his great victory on Mount Carmel. And mm-hmm. the next chapter, he's alone in a cave, um, wants to die. Um, and in that, it's crazy what God does. He's like, you need to eat and take a nap. Uh, you're kind of lonely. I'm going to send you this dude named Elisha. And also, I'm going to speak to you and let you know that I'm here. And like of those four things that he does... I would argue that on a superficial reading, we'd only say that one of those four things are spiritual. I mean, I mean, I mean, Jesus is essentially saying your blood sugar's low, uh, you're sleep deprived, uh, you're lonely, um, which is not good for your mental health, and you need to hear a word from God. But you also need my provision again um, to know that I'm there, I love you, and I'm for you. Yeah. But again, it's not always a purely spiritual thing, and I think you're right. I think. We spend so much time over spiritualizing and 
trying to avoid pain. And when you're trying to do those two things, it'll mess you up because uh, every time there is pain, you just assume there's some sort of sin in your life. Um, right. And then you don't lean in and do the hard work. Yeah, we 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 confuse the work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, the go to your go to the story. Elijah comes off that mountain off an incredibly spiritual moment, and so mm-hmm. it's not like he was just having an every day and came down. I mean, this is a guy who literally spends all day long mocking the prophets of Baal, calls down fire, calls down a flood, outruns a chariot for eighteen miles, gets mm-hmm. to the bottom, and Jezebel says. I'm going to kill you. Just like my prophets died, you're going to die. And it hit him because what I find for me is after an incredibly spiritual moment, uh, the enemy comes at me hard. And Mm -hmm. so I actually, when I come back from a trip, uh, I actually have five or six people who are to check in with me day by day. Uh, Hey, on Monday, I call Leonard. On Tuesday, I call Leonard because I need those people to, to check with me uh, so that I don't believe my own press, man, look what I just did on a mountain. And also, so I don't believe the press of the enemy that I'm going to die tomorrow. Uh, I need people to remind me of who I am. I'm I'm a child of God who sometimes is going to go take a nap, eat some food. And then he takes me to a 40 days on, on, on the nourishment of that food. And he puts me in a mountain and he, he, he demonstrates all this stuff. And then he says, Oh, by the way, go get Elisha. Uh, oh, by the way, I'm going to speak to you in this voice that's personal and close. Oh, by the way, just in case you're wondering, I got thousands of guys who've never bowed. Uh, you, you, you actually missed the whole picture. You, you, what yep. you were seeing and what is reality, and 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 that's what spiritualization does is it causes us to see, wow, a, a picture but not reality. And I think wow. when you know, is it real? You know. We 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 tend to make euphoric our friendship with Jesus. Wow. But what other relationship do we have like that? I don't do that with my mm. wife. I don't do that with my kids. I don't do that with my friends. I don't do that with anybody. And so why mm. in the world would I take this this Jesus and say, well, if it's not euphoric, it's not good. It's there's something missing. So I don't spiritualize. Uh, my my fear, if I have anxiety, I don't have much anxiety, but if I do, I don't spiritualize being lonely. I spend every day of my life going, okay, I, I feel lonely today because uh, I'm hardwired for people. It's insatiable mm-hmm. for me. And, and there's not enough people around me to fill that need, nor should they. Yeah. And I, so, don't spiritualize. Yeah. I love your intentional process about when you come back from a trip, uh, it's like, hey, Leonard, you just won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do? I'm going to have my friends call me and make sure I don't crash. And I think, it, I mean, we, you see it in Elijah. Look at Jesus. How many times after a big miracle, I need to go off in a boat and be with my father. Or, hey, I need to be with my guy friends because yeah. uh, either I'm tired or I'm be attacked. I, early on in ministry, I had these moments um where I would feel incredibly depressed and spiral mm-hmm. after preaching. Yeah. And I realized there were three parts of it. One was I had all the adrenaline running through my body while I'm on stage and I've got the feel of the crowd and the excitement of what's got and all of that. And all of the woohoo happy and adrenaline stuff is going. And then right after that, it's a crash, even bigger than a sugar crash. Yeah. So there's a physiological thing that would happen to me. Mm-hmm. 
30 minutes to an hour, 90 minutes after, after the crowd clears. And I wasn't ready for that dopamine crash. There's a second piece of that's when the enemy would come after you. I mean, think about what Jesus says, you cast out a demon and seven more come back. You know, I was like, I just fought the fight. I just conquered the demon. So I'm just laying around feeling like, look at me, I'm awesome. And I wasn't ready for the seven who were coming back. Right. And then the third part of it was I was almost always alone afterwards. And mm-hmm. it just allowed my head to spin. And, you know, uh, I heard someone say recently, you know, uh, depression is worry about the past and anxiety is worry about the future. But uh, joy only comes from peace in that present moment. And, you know, I just couldn't be at peace in that present moment when I was alone. And so today, you know, not very spiritual. My primary way that I try to bounce back after preaching is I go play racquetball after church on Sunday just to get all of the adrenaline and endorphins out of me. Um, uh, if I'm totally alone, you know, I'm going to, uh, not super healthy. I don't want to go to a bunch of people afterwards. So it's one-on-one it's exercise. Um, and then after that, I'm, it's out of my system. I'm ready to move on to being a dad, uh, to whatever the next day is to watching, hopefully my 49ers win, if they can get a healthy quarterback, whatever it may be, but it's not very spiritual, but I play racquetball after I preach every single Sunday. I think that is actually wise. I, We've got to pay mo- more uh, attention to to the rhythms of our life uh, and when when we're susceptible, uh, when we're not, um, you know, and and then just recognize that um, again, I don't spiritualize things. You know, they just are what they are. I live in a mm-hmm. broken world. I'm an unmade bed who's been loved by God. Uh, I'm going to have good days. I'm going to have bad days. I'm going to have moments where my thought life uh, is corrupted. And I'm going to have moments when you couldn't pry open my thought life with a corrupt thought if you had a hand grenade and a pry bar. Uh, yeah. I have all of those and I'm, 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 I carry them all in one bucket. You know, Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, um, we know that when this tent of ours is torn down, we have a, we have a, a, a spiritual one. Uh, not built by human hands, but in between mm. we groan. Uh, we long to be clothed with our spiritual dwelling. Uh, and it's God who made us this way. He made us for that longing. And in the interim, I just recognize that that I'm going to have a lot of groans in my life. Meanwhile, we groan. Mm. And so how? what do you do in between? Paul writes it out in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, first of all, uh, you got to make it your goal to please him. Second of all, you got to know that yep. his love controls you. Thirdly, you got to become uh, 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 an ambassador for Christ. You have got to be made new. And then you've got to anchor yourself in this reality uh, that, yeah. that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that yeah. in him I could be and just settle into that. Well, that yeah. is literally for me a sequence because I find myself in the, in the in-between. I live in limbo. Mm-hmm. This earth is my limbo. It's not what I'm going to be. And it's not what I was. It is where I am living the now, but not yet, as uh, one of my Bible professors would always yeah. say. And yeah. I think there's, a, a, you know, that's the reality of walking with God. That's why it's a friendship. Uh, that's why it's, 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 it's a friendship built on a covenant that is a one-way covenant by God who goes, listen, I, I, I recognize you're probably going to fail on your end, 
But isn't that what Revelation says? Before the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Before Adam and Eve ever ate fruit, God had a plan A, which was to redeem us because he knew the fruit was a goner. Uh, it wasn't like he was sitting around going, man, that's plan B in case in case they met. It was plan A because before he ever made anything, he also had a plan to redeem it through his own son. And that's love, man. That You can't love me any better than that. That's and good. I, and I think living in that all the time is... Um, is is the challenge that's the that's where i groan so kyle let me do this let me let me wrap us up because i want to respect your time and i want to make sure uh everybody knows with me that we could have this conversation for another five hours and then go yeah. wait how, how'd that happen um and so i want to just uh, wrap up with this question for you um we talk about uh saying yes and become we talk about the journey of yes that you've been on listening to god um, we talk about what does it mean to, to live this out in our, in the gritty, uh, parts of our life, whether we're pastors, whether we're not, how do we live in this friendship that's close? Um, but here's what you and I both know. Um, we didn't get here by ourselves. Yeah. Uh, there is somebody and a lot of somebody's, uh, whose shoulders we stand on. I stand on the yes of a grandmother who said yes to Jesus when her kids died in a fiery accident. And that mm. trans that changed the direction of my entire family uh, wow. before I was even born. And she began to pray. Uh, I stand on, uh, on the shoulders of a mom and a, and a stepfather who loved me and prayed for me on a, on family members. I stand on the shoulders of pastors, the man who called me and said, Leonard, God's called you to ministry. You need to quit screwing around with girls. Um, yeah, and I wouldn't even screwing around with girls. He, he just knew where I was headed. Um, I stand on the shoulders of a man who said, I dare you to read your Bible for a year. Yeah. Whose shoulders are you standing on? Whose yeses are you standing on? Uh, the list is so long. I think we could double the length of this podcast. Yeah. Um, uh, folks, uh, it's funny. I might be a, an exercise. I sit down one day and try and list out as many as I can. I, um, I, I, I could pick so many, but let me just pick two real quick. First of all, um, my first youth pastor, Ted Cedarblom, uh, was a nerd. He wasn't cool. Um, he had a little notebook that he carried around with him and a pen. It looked like he needed a pocket protector. Um, and we had another youth pastor who was super cool, uh, uh, young, energetic, gorgeous, uh, would preach with like an unbuttoned shirt and like a wife beater underneath. And I'm like, oh, we love this. You know, that guy was only there six months and it broke my heart. The other guy, Ted, the nerd, I'll never forget this line. My older brother, uh, it'll, I can't believe I'm publicly giving kudos to my older brother um uh ryan you're a punk don't forget it but uh my brother ryan said this he said pastor ted traded cool for effective hmm. and i'm like what do you mean he says he says you know that little notepad he always has i'm like yeah he says he writes down every single one of those prayer requests and then he asks you about it the next week how that's not cool but man that that's effective yeah um you know uh he didn't drop the ball because he, he thought it was loving to prepare for youth group or the mission trip 
and not just loving to show up and be like, how you doing, bro? Yeah. Um, he traded cool for effective. And I think given the theme that's run through my life of wanting to prove myself, I think, um, yeah, Ted Cedarblum, uh, shout out to him. Uh, yeah, I had my conversion to call the ministry under his leadership, but that's another story. The second is this. Um, I stand on the shoulders of a, a four foot ten grandmother. Mm. Uh, my grandma um, met grandpa literally 80 years ago uh, in Nebraska. He was kind of a wild man, but he was going to be a pastor. And again, 75 years ago, uh, they came out to Los Angeles to plant a church uh, before church planting was cool. Like now it's the hip thing to do. This was not it. Uh, the Lutheran mission board bought a duplex. Uh, grandma, grandpa, five kids lived in one half of it, 800 square feet. The other half, uh, they literally built with their bare hands into a sanctuary. Um, and on the weekdays, uh, grandma was making money as a dental hygienist and raising kids. Uh, and then on the weekends, she's cooking stew for the workers on Saturday and then, you know, playing organ or piano. They probably didn't have an organ. They were so small, probably playing piano um, for this humble little church. And they were in the hood. The second half of her life wasn't in an 800 square foot duplex in a hood it was in a nearly almost 3,000 square foot home shorefront in south orange county um worth millions and grandma says this uh and i don't know if you have uh, an explicit warning on your podcast you might have to edit this uh she says my first half of my life i was a poor church mouse and the second half of my life i was a rich bitch <laughs> Coming from a four foot 10, 85 year old, yeah. sweetest thing you ever met. It's hilarious. And Jesus says, man, I would trade every penny I had in the bank. And she had a lot of them at the end to go back and be side by side in the trenches, in the hood, with her husband, with her kids, doing those things. And the thing that amazed me was her ability to love whoever God put in front of her, mm. a total stranger in a dental chair, uh, someone knocking on the door on a Tuesday night. Hey, I don't have money to pay the bills and grandpa giving money they didn't have, or, you know, she would host CEOs of well-known organizations that all of your listeners would know at her house later or at her house. And then she'd have a, two month old sitting on her lap. And it didn't matter if you were the CEO or a newborn baby, he treated you like you were the most special thing in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm one of um, 17, we'll call it 18 grandkids. Uh, number 18, you know who you are. You're not official, but you're official in our hearts. We love you. Um, and uh, every single one of us felt like we were her favorite. Mm -hmm. And it was those two things that we've talked about is number one is becoming a loving person. It's just who she was. Yeah. But then the second is what you've talked about over and over is the ability to slow down. Yeah. You walk with Jesus at three miles an hour. You go slow down so you can hear from Jesus. You yeah. slow down so you can be with that person. And for me, someone who is swiping through TikTok, and if I'm not engaged in three seconds, I'm to the next thing. I learned from grandma, love everyone Jesus puts in front of you. And to do that, you've got to be able to slow down 
be transformed by Jesus and be present with whoever he puts in front of you. And so I stand on the shoulders of a four foot 10 giant um, who passed away uh, two, almost three years ago now. And her legacy lives on. And I hope uh, that I can live half the life uh, that she did and hope I can teach others how to experience and share that love that she did. Well, I love that. I will say one thing, and I promise you this. Uh, your grandmother would never have the same hope for you that you could live mm. half the life. Uh, mm. She loved you because she wanted you to live twice the life. Oh. And so don't settle for half. Uh, mm. But I understand you. I understand your words, my friend. Hey, thanks thank for you, thank joining you. us today. We have had a great conversation. I have a feeling that we could come back and just go back and forth with questions and thoughts. Yep. And I appreciate your thoughtfulness of questions towards me as well. Um, mm -hmm. I appreciate you, my friend, and uh, you stay in my prayers, uh, you Thank and your you. family, as we pray for uh, uh, our, our our family and friends out in uh, out in the Sacramento area. Uh, we only moved out here to start a second office because uh, yeah. the ministry was growing so big, and and yeah. uh, and so God's blessed that. But we're just happy. Yeah. Thanks for joining us today on Say Yes and Become. Yeah. Like us, follow us, listen to us, however mm -hmm. you choose, wherever you might find us. And with that being said, stay tuning in. We've got some great, great episodes coming our way. And I'm a preacher, so I'm taking the last word. Leonard, thank you for having me. Listeners, if you made it this far, thank you for listening in. I love you and hope something in this uh, uh, blesses you in your journey with Jesus. There we go.